So uh, forgiveness is super important, and I was debating on how to open up this message today. Um, I think one of the most effective ways to open up a message, just so you know, is to make things personal. Uh, And the reason for that is because the scriptures are, they're eternal, they're they're as um, relevant as they were written as they are today, but it's easy for us to read a story like this and to, like, to see what God did maybe a few thousand years ago and then to not really connect it to our lives. And so that's why oftentimes when I open a sermon, like I'll open with something that's personal because my hope is, is that the Lord will speak to you about your life and reveal how to walk these things out. And when forgiveness, and, and so and I, the reason I'm saying all of this about how to open up, I struggled with forgiveness because there's a couple different ways to think about forgiveness. You know, I I could tell you a story about a time that I was hurt and had to forgive, which probably all of us can relate to. Um, But I was wrestling this morning, uh, and I was thinking about how sometimes when we do that, we we can make things really self-focused. You know, I was hurt, I have to forgive, and it becomes about me. But um, there's been times in my life where I've needed forgiveness for things that I've done. And so when we think about forgiveness, there's like a couple different ways. There's me having to forgive, or there's the need for me to experience that forgiveness. When I was in high school, um, a friend of mine, I led her to to Jesus. We had a really good friendship, led her to faith in Christ, and it was really cool to see what God was doing in her life. And fast forward a few years, and I broke this girl's trust. Um, And it was really hurtful for her, the, the way that... Um, what happened happened was something that was very emotionally um, damaging for her. And I was, I was the one that caused this hurt. And I knew it. And it was one of those times where I wasn't trying to make it sound like I was better than I was. Like I knew that what, ha- what I had done was hurtful. And I asked for forgiveness. And I didn't get it. Um, I got it from God. I knew that what I had done was wrong. And so I cried out to Jesus to forgive me. And I knew based on the scriptures that my heart, I was confessing sin. I was going to Jesus. And I knew based on what the scriptures taught that God forgave me. I knew that if I stood before him, then things were going to be okay because I had sought his forgiveness. But I didn't receive forgiveness from her. It was like the relationship was, was severed. And this was a person that I was really close with. I had led her to, to Jesus Um, but I didn't receive forgiveness for years. And it was something that bothered me in my heart for a lot of years because I knew that what I had done was wrong, and I knew that in some way, just humanly speaking, she had a right to still be angry. Fast forward again, 10 years later, um, and she had another encounter with Jesus, and she reached out and sent me a letter and just expressed that she had forgiven me. And it was a really powerful moment for me because I actually experienced this forgiveness. And, and what I want to point out, and before we jump into this story and finish up the story of Joseph, I just want you to see something in Scripture. A lot of times when we hear about forgiveness, um, I've heard this a lot in like popular teaching of the world. Like when you forgive, it's not, about, it's not about the other person, it's about you. And I believe the Scripture, like in some, there's some truth to that when we've been hurt when we've been wronged, when things have happened to us, um, it is about God. It is about God releasing us from that, releasing us from bondage. 
But sometimes forgiveness actually does have a huge impact on those that you forgive. And so it is a popular way of thinking to say, well, like, you know, if, if you've been hurt, if you've been wronged, forget about those people that have wronged you. Just forgive for you, right? And, and I'm, I want you to know there is some truth to that. Some of us have been through trauma and we've been through some things that to, to, the thought of forgiving another person is just almost unbearable. And so our thoughts are like, well, I want to be, be free, so I'll forgive so that I can be free or I can experience freedom. But that forgiveness actually has an impact on a person's life. And, I, and so I want to speak this message this morning as someone who's received forgiveness, received like the blessing of forgiveness, but I've also been challenged to offer that forgiveness. And that's what we're going to look at in the story of Joseph. And so we're wrapping up <clears throat> this story. And uh, before, before we get to Joseph, I just want to point out something Jesus said. Uh, and if I, if I were to ask you this morning, um, if, do you know the Lord's Prayer? Would most of you, you can just nod. Do you know the Lord's Prayer? Yeah? Some, some people do, okay? Some people don't. It's probably, and I would say, the Lord's Prayer is probably the most popular passage of Scripture in the New Testament. So even if you go to a place where most people don't go to church, if you started to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, most people would say those words along with you. They would know them, even if they're not churched people, right? It's a pretty popular section of the Scriptures. And Jesus, I just want you to see what Jesus kind of, um, and I'm going to say this like, kind of jokingly, he kind of kills the mood, okay? So the Lord's Prayer is really popular. People know it. Even people that don't go to church very often know, generally, they know the Lord's Prayer. But most people don't know or aren't familiar with what Jesus said immediately after that. So in this context, Jesus is actually, he's teaching people to pray, okay? And so he's inviting everybody. He's saying, hey, if you want to have a relationship with the Creator, with with God, you can do that, and here's how you can pray. And it's a really simple step-by-step prayer. But then immediately after that, he, he kills the mood with what he says, and it's a pretty jarring statement. And this is going to set up what we're going to talk about with Joseph. So uh, in Matthew chapter 6, immediately following the Lord's Prayer, verses 14 and 15, Jesus says this. He says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's kind of a crazy uh, statement he makes. Let me just read it again. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And Jesus goes on to, to give some really powerful teaching about forgiveness and why we forgive, our motive for forgiving, and, and we'll get there. Um, but I want to jump into the story of Joseph. And, and so I'm just going to recap because we, we we're going to skip over where we finished off last week, last week we talked about the favor of God. Okay, and we talked about how Joseph was operating in his God-given gifts and abilities, and because of that, he walked in the favor of God. Even when he'd been wronged, even when he ended up in prison for something he didn't do, even when everybody he knew turned on him, stabbed him in the back, lied about him, and he was in a really dark place, he walked in the favor of God because he just used God's, the gifts God had given him and he used them to the best of his ability, and he, and he walked in his favor. Um, and we talked, in, in the previous weeks before that, we talked about all of the people that actually did turn on Joseph, the people that falsely accused him of something he didn't do. His brothers, who he should have been able to trust, that sold him into slavery. Uh, and then 
we, we, we looked at how God advanced him and he becomes the, you know, the ruler of Egypt. And we're going to skip over a bunch today in what we're going to read, but I want to recap the part we're going to skip over just so you know where we are in the story. So Joseph is, where we're going to read today, Joseph is like the top dog in Egypt. Okay? He's second in command to Pharaoh, who's the leader of all the land. Okay? And Egypt was an incredibly powerful nation in those days, um, maybe the most powerful nation there was. And Joseph is second in command. And he's, he's ruling there, and his family, who sold him into slavery, who turned their backs on him, they don't know that this has happened with Joseph. They don't know he's, he's in command. But there's a famine that is so severe that people from all over the place are coming to Egypt to get food, because if they don't, they're going to die. And so that's, that's where we're, we're, uh, we're jumping in right after that. So Joseph's ten older brothers, okay, in the parts that we haven't, uh, we're not going to read today, they travel to Egypt in search of food, and they show up on Joseph's doorstep. And this is what's interesting, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I just want you to think about it. Joseph, when his brothers show up, they imme- like, he recognizes them immediately. They're his brothers. They're the ones that sold him into slavery. But the, the text tells us they don't recognize him. You know what's interesting is that when, when God does a, a work in your heart and fulfills your dreams and, and does this like incredible God work inside of you, makes you into the person he wants you to be, sometimes you're unrecognizable to those that didn't believe in you when you first started talking about the dream. It's a really powerful insight. And, and again, we're not going to spend time on it, um, but I just want you to be aware. That it's, it's really fascinating that the text points that out because his brothers get there and they don't recognize Joseph. Here he is. He's second in command. The dream that he told them about 13 years before has been fulfilled and they don't recognize him. And I was thinking about how often that happens in our lives. When God does like a healing work in our heart and he brings us through darkness, he brings us through difficulty, sometimes we are unrecognizable to those that caused us hurt the many years before. It's a a really uh, profound insight. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on that. So his brothers don't recognize him right away. Joseph actually, he pretends to be a stranger. So when his brothers get there, they're looking for help. He actually pretends to not know them. And he pretends not even to understand their language. So as the brothers communicate with each other, Joseph understands everything they're saying, but they don't think that he does because he's speaking to them through an Egyptian translator. And so it's really interesting. You've got to imagine this story. So Joseph, like, have you ever wanted to be a fly on the wall when someone's talking about you? Right? Like, and, and I remember when I was younger, um, sometimes, like, and, and this is going to date me, but any remember, like, ICQ or MSN? Anybody remember those things? Okay. So before texting, you could go on these online chats called, like, ICQ or MSN. And sometimes what people would do is they'd pretend to be their, their friend, and then they would ask that friend about themselves, and they would hide their identity, and then they would get people talking about them. You don't know that happened? I'm not saying I did that, okay? <laughs> um, but sometimes people, people, like, people like to hear other people talk about them, right? Yeah. So, so Joseph, he gets to hear people, he gets to hear his own brothers talking about him. And if you read the story, um, he, he does this intentionally. He listens to his brothers as they talk about him. And then Joseph locks his brothers up in prison. And so he's got these 10 older brothers. He sees them, okay? He locks them in prison for three days. And he's trying to corroborate their story. And he, can, he knows they're telling the truth. But he calls them liars. He calls them spies. He starts to mess with them. Okay, uh, And then eventually he decides to let the brothers go back to their father 
And he says, if you ever want to see me again, if you ever want to get grain, you have to bring your younger brother, which was his full brother, back with you. The name was Benjamin. And that was the father's new favorite. And Joseph decided to keep Simeon, this is really important to the story, locked up in prison while these brothers went back to the land of Canaan. What's interesting is Joseph, it doesn't say this in the text. Um, In the text, when Joseph is thrown in the pit when he's 17 years old by his brothers who actually want to kill him, the oldest brother, Reuben, was the one that said, don't kill him. And then Judah, one of the older brothers, advocated that Joseph be sold into slavery instead of uh, being killed. Okay, so we see Judah in the story. We're going to see him in a minute. But Simeon, it doesn't say this, but the fact that Joseph kept this guy locked up in prison for who knows how long, I, I'm, I, I have to imagine that Simeon was probably one of the meanest of the brothers. And so now Joseph, he's in this position of power. He's right-hand man to Pharaoh. He can do whatever he wants. No one's going to ask any questions. If he wanted to have his brothers killed, he could have done it, and he would have got away with it. And so he's restraining himself, but he's still dealing with bitterness because when he sees his brothers show up, all of this hurt, all of the trauma, all of the pain that he had experienced was all coming back up inside. And now he's in a position of power, and he's actually able to use that power to kind of manipulate things a little bit. And he throws Simeon in prison. And if you read... The, the previous chapters, like Simeon is actually a really violent man. If you go back earlier in Genesis, Simeon and his brother Levi, Joseph's older brothers, are actually responsible for killing a whole town of people. Like he was a, he was a very volatile person. And so I have to imagine, Joseph, he sees Simeon, and Simeon was probably one of the ones that caused the most pain to Joseph. And Joseph still has all of this bitterness, all of this like hurt in his heart. And he's messing a bit with his brothers. And then as the story progresses, Joseph actually messes with them quite a bit. When he first sends his, the, the, the group back to Canaan to collect food, he puts money in their sack. Uh, and then when they get home, they find that all the money they had paid for the grain was in their sack. And so they're afraid. They're like, oh, no, what's, what's happening? Like, Joseph, this, or this powerful ruler, may think that we've, like, actually double-crossed him. And Joseph, there's a couple times, I'm going to touch on this later, he starts to play God a little bit. Because when the, jo- when, when the brothers come back um, after their first visit, and they, they present the money that, that they found in their sacks, Joseph instructs his, the people under him to tell them, oh, like, God did that. That was God who provided for you. So Joseph's being a bit deceitful with his brothers. He's playing God. And then again, when Joseph... And we're picking up after the story. Joseph has this interaction with his brothers. He sends them home, and he sends his silver cup home in the bag of his full brother, Benjamin. And when the brothers, uh, when, when they're discovered, when the silver cup is discovered, Joseph has the power at this point to, to kill them all, um, and, and he starts demanding that his younger brother, Benjamin, stay with him. And the brothers are freaking out because they're like, what are we, how are we going to go home and tell this to our father? How are we going to report it? And Joseph says to them, this silver cup was used, it's used for divination. And he says, don't you think a man like me could, can predict the future? And he starts to like mess with his brothers and play God in some way because he's got all this hurt and this pain and he wants to cause them pain. He wants to cause them hurt. And so he's, he's messing with them. And you can read that whole narrative. If, if, if that little summary is confusing, I would encourage you to go back and read that part of the story where Joseph meets his brothers and he starts you know, messing with them a little bit and starts to play God and starts to harbor some of these, these bitter feelings that he has in his heart. But that, and there's um, three times in the story, Joseph, so much emotion wells up in Joseph that he breaks down and cries. 
And there's two times when Joseph breaks down and cries that he actually, and it's before his brothers know who he is, he hides from his brothers and he weeps uncontrollably. And so you've got to imagine that Joseph, he's got all of this trauma. These are the people that he should have been able to trust and love. They're his family, but they sold him into slavery. They wanted to kill him, but they sold him into slavery. And so when he sees them, he's, he knows that God has given him this incredible blessed life, that he's this ruler now. He's got all this power. His brothers can't touch him, but he's got all of this hurt, all of this pain that he hasn't fully dealt with. And because he's a powerful man, he's able to use that power and play God a little bit. And he messes with his brothers and he puts them on the spot and he challenges them to see if they've changed. He's, he's, he's tempted to use his power to actually cause harm to them, even though he knows that it would be wrong to do that. And right on the, he's on the very um, verge of, of working things through and his brother Judah, and this is where we're going to pick up the story and read, his brother Judah speaks up and defends the youngest brother Benjamin and he advocates for him. And I just want you to imagine, so Joseph, his, his brothers, okay, the oldest 10 brothers, they've, they've all like sold him into slavery after arguing about whether or not to kill him. They sell him into slavery, okay? And then when he meets them 13 years later in Egypt, here they are, and, and they're, they're willing to lay down their lives for the youngest brother, Benjamin, who's the new family favorite. How hurtful it would have been for Joseph to, to see the ones that that turned their back on him, that stabbed him in the back, and now they're actually willing to lay down their lives for the younger brother, Joseph's full brother. And they're willing to even give up their lives to save his. How hurtful and, and painful that would be for Joseph. So we're, this is where we're going to pick up the story. So it's in Genesis chapter 44, starting in verse 18. And this is the speech that Judah gives to Joseph. And, and remember, Judah doesn't know he's talking to his brother. And Judah... He's the one, if you go back in the story, who actually advocated to have Joseph sold into slavery. So the person that is standing before Joseph and he's trying to defend his youngest brother, Benjamin, he's the one that wanted to sell Joseph into slavery in the first place and, and listen to how he, he talks to Joseph about, about the youngest brother, Benjamin. So it says, then Judah stepped forward and he said, please, my Lord, let your servant say just one word to you. Please do not be angry with me, even though... You are as powerful as Pharaoh himself. My Lord, previously you asked us, your servants, do you have a father or a brother? And we responded, yes, my Lord. We have a father who is an old man, and his youngest son is a child of his old age. His full brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him very much. And you said to us, bring him here so that I can see him with my own eyes. But we said to you, my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for his father would die. But you told us, unless your youngest brother comes with you, you will never see my face again. So we returned to your servant, our father, and told him what you had said. Later, when he said, go back and buy us more food, we replied, we can't go unless our youngest brother is with us. We'll never get to see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then my father said to us, as you know, my wife had two sons, and one of them went away and never returned. Doubtless, he was torn to pieces by some wild animal. I've never seen him since. Now, if you take his brother away from me, and any harm comes to him, you will send this grieving, white-haired man to his grave. Jacob previously had made it very clear that Benjamin, this younger brother, was his new favorite. Like Jacob obviously hadn't learned any lessons about choosing favorites amongst the sons, okay? So after everything that happened with Joseph happened, his new favorite was Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin. And so 
he clearly was like not progressing very well as a dad, seeing the impact that it had. But the, but the older brothers, the 10, realized they could not do the same thing again. They could not cause that kind of pain to their father like they had done in the case of Joseph. And so now they're all very protective of Benjamin, this younger full brother of, of Joseph. And now, my Lord, I cannot go back to my father without the boy. Our father's life is bound up in the boy's life. If he sees that the boy is not with us, our father will die. We, your servants, will indeed be responsible for sending that grieving white-haired man to his grave. My Lord, I guaranteed to my father that I would take care of the boy. I told him, if I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the blame forever. So please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy, and let the boy return with his, with his brothers. For now, I can return. For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see an, the anguish this would cause my father. So, so Judah here, he's like begging. He's saying, like, I'll be a slave. Let me become the slave instead of uh, our younger brother. He's willing to lay down his life for this younger brother, which he, would, he was the one that advocated for Joseph to be sold into slavery. So in 45.1, it says, Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down, and he wept. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians could hear him, and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless, They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, who you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive, to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master over all the land of Egypt, so come down immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen where you can be near me with all your children and grandchildren and flocks and herds and everything you own. I will take care of you there, for there are still five more years of famine ahead of us. Otherwise, you, your household, and all your animals will starve. And then Joseph added, you can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that I really am Joseph. Go tell my father of my honored position here in Egypt. Describe for him everything that you have seen, and bring my father here quickly. Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin, and Benjamin did the same. But Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them after they had been talking freely with him. And so it's a beautiful story. Joseph affirms his forgiveness of his brothers, and, but you can see the struggle. And what I want to highlight from this story today, I just want to see forgiveness from three different angles. And, and here's the angles, okay? So the challenge of forgiveness, the act of forgiveness, and then a theology of forgiveness, okay? So the challenge of forgiveness, the act of forgiveness, and then a theology of of forgiveness. And I, I want you to just like to, to see in this story, you can see it, okay? So the challenge of forgiveness, the reason forgiveness is challenging is because it feels like when we're going to forgive somebody, it feels like they're being let off the hook, right? So when you think about you 
and the people that maybe have hurt you, or you, you, maybe you can relate with Joseph with some of the, the trauma, some of the ways that those closest to you caused you hurt. And forgiving a person, it feels like they're being let off the hook. It feels like they won't get what's coming to them. So Joseph messes with his brothers. You know what's interesting is Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver, okay, into slavery. That's all they got for Joseph was 20 pieces of silver. If you read the story carefully, in chapters 42 to 45, Hebrew commentators have pointed this out, silver is mentioned 20 times in, when Joseph starts to interact with his brothers from that point until the point where he forgives them. Silver is actually mentioned 20 times. The author of Genesis is trying to remind us. He's using these like storytelling forms that Hebrews did to say, like, Joseph is wrestling with the fact that he was sold for 20 pieces of silver. And now he uses his silver cup and he puts silver in their bag. And, and all of these references to silver are showing like Joseph is like remembering what was done to him. And he starts to kind of use that against his brothers. The, the reason that forgiveness is challenging is we feel like if we forgive, if we let go, because that's what forgiveness is, it's to let go then whoever it is that we're holding this against, they're not going to get what's coming to them. Joseph wrestled with this because of his trauma, because of the pain that he experienced. Because, and, and, I just, and I know that talking about forgiveness is, is a difficult subject because all of us have experienced different levels of pain and trauma. And maybe there's some in this room that you can relate a lot with Joseph because you've been deeply wounded and hurt by family members or by those closest to you. Maybe you've been lied about like Joseph and misunderstood. And forgiveness just feels so difficult and so challenging. Maybe the words of Jesus that we read at the beginning are a real stumbling block where you're like, what do you mean I can't be forgiven unless I forgive? Like that sounds, that's too much. That's too hard. Well, Joseph related with that. He had been deeply wounded and deeply hurt. And I want you to, I want to point out to you something that Joseph says. So when Joseph's dad dies, okay, so when Jacob dies, Joseph's brothers, this family was very deceitful, okay? If you're not picking up anything from the story, you got to realize, like, there was all kinds of deceit happening in the story of Jacob and Joseph. So Jacob dies, and Joseph's brothers are like, what are we going to do now? Joseph is the most powerful man in all of the land. If he wants to kill us, if he wants to kill our families, he can do it. So we have to come up with a plan to make sure that this forgiveness is real. So they actually, dis- they try to deceive Joseph again. Listen, listen to what they say. And this will be up on the screen. It says, after burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now their father, now their father was dead. Joseph's brothers became fearful. Listen to what they say. Now Joseph will show his anger, and now he'll pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of God, the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. There's no evidence that Jacob actually told them to say this. So they come up with this plan. They're like, Joseph, like, dad said to forgive us, Okay. Like, dad's, dad's gone now, but, but dad, and they bring God into it, okay? So they're like, dad and God want you to forgive us. Like, they're terrified. And you have to imagine, like, it makes sense that they're terrified. Joseph could literally do whatever he wanted, carte blanche. Nobody can say that he, he wouldn't be able to. So they're just, like, shaking in their boots. They know they've wronged him. They know they've done something that was horrible. They know he's got all kinds of pain. And so they're like, dad and God want you to forgive us, okay? They bring God into it. So they say all this, but I want you to catch Joseph's response, When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. 
And then his brothers came, and they threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. You know what's interesting is there's the fulfillment of Joseph's dream. So Joseph has this dream when he's 17 years old that his family members are going to bow down to him. And here they are. They, like, throw themselves at his feet, and they're like, please forgive us, right? And Joseph, at this point, he's not even... He's not even, like, concerned about the dream. You don't see Joseph responding, like, there you are, my servants, right? Like, and, and starts kicking them or whatever. Like, he doesn't respond that way. All of the pride, all of the arrogance has been removed from Joseph through suffering. God used his suffering and his pain to, to challenge him, to uh, mold him and shape him. And Joseph says this in verse 19. Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Listen to this question. This, this question, I believe, is a really profound question that all of us can ask when we're in the same position of Joseph. He says, am I God that I can punish you? Am I God that I can punish you? He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. So don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. But this question, am I God that I can punish you? The challenge of forgiveness is that it feels like a person is being let off the hook. But the reality of forgiveness is that you and I, we are not God. We can't actually punish the way that God can. And so this is a really important point. Like if you're wrestling with forgiveness and and you, you don't know what it looks like to actually forgive and it feels like a person is being let off the hook, as a follower of Jesus, like you've got to realize like God is still God. God is still judge. God does not let evil slide. So the challenge of forgiveness for us, it feels like, well, if I let go, then this, this person's let off the hook or they don't get what's coming to them. But, but the reality is, is that you let go, which gives you freedom, which releases that person from bondage or, or whatever the case may be, but they still answer to God. Joseph was still saying, like, I can't tell you what God's going to say, but I can forgive. And that's a really powerful realization as we wrestle with with forgiveness. And so this is up on the screen. Um, A Jesus follower can forgive because we recognize that God is judge and we are not. So the reason that if you're a follower of Jesus, the reason you can forgive is because it's a recognition like God's the judge, not me. So when I've heard crazy stories of, of people that have been just severely wronged, that have forgiven their oppressors or forgiven their they're, they're abusers or sexual abusers or, or whatever the case may be. It's As a Christian, it's because you realize, like, they still stand before God. And I can't actually carry out judgment. judgment. There's a verse in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy. God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Okay? God is saying, I'm the one who carries out judgment, not you. And so when God asks us to forgive, we forgive because we've been forgiven, because of what Christ has done for us. But it doesn't... Our forgiveness doesn't release a person between them and God. It's us choosing to forgive. And so that's the challenge of forgiveness. The act of forgiveness, it is actually... So the, the second angle we're looking at of this from this story about forgiveness is the act of forgiveness. And this is really simple. So, the, like, forgiveness is an act. And I'm going to challenge us today when we end this sermon, we end this teaching, to take an actual physical step but it's something that you really do. I told you a story at the beginning of somebody that I had hurt and I needed forgiveness, okay? There was uh, another encounter in my life where I was really hurt by somebody that I trusted in a deep way. 
And um, after moving to Thunder Bay, and I've said this before, I went, I went through um, a couple different times where I went through counseling. And it was with, um, we have Northwind people here. It would have been weird to um, do counseling with somebody that I knew really well and that I was like in ministry with. And so I had, there was a, a counselor that had said, you know, if you want to do stuff online, I'll meet with you FaceTime and I'll work through counseling. And so, so I did that. And uh, in this counseling session, um, I was really challenged to forgive this person that had hurt me deeply. And the most memorable part of that experience was that my counselor said to me, he said, Nathan, I want you to write a letter and I want you to express forgiveness to this person that hurt you. He said, because a couple years from now, it might be just a couple, it might be 10, it might be 15, but that memory is going to come back and you're going to have a thought like, I didn't actually forgive that person. I have all this bitterness. And he said, I want you to be able to go back to that letter and look at it and to know you took this step between you and God to forgive this person that hurt you. So I did. I wrote a letter. And you know what? This, he was right. Because within a couple of years, I was like, stuff was just coming back up again. Stuff was surfacing again. I was like experiencing some of the same hurt. And I was struggling with like, did I even forgive? I went back like my counselor had instructed me a couple of years earlier. I reread the letter and I said, no, I have forgiven. God has given me the grace. He's given me the strength to forgive. So forgiveness, the second angle of this, like forgiveness is an actual act. It's not just something that happens in your brain. It's not just a feeling that you have in a moment. It's something that you actually take a step to do. And it's something that you can look back on when the pain resurfaces, when the trauma comes back up. It's something you can look back on and say, no, I took that step. I did I forgave. I asked God to give me the strength and the grace to do it, and, and I did it. Forgiveness is an act. It is something you physically do. And I, and I want to say this. Forgiveness does not necessarily equal trust. So to forgive somebody, so our first point about the, the fact that the challenge of forgiveness is because we feel like, well, a person just, we're, I'm letting them off. They're not going to get what's coming to them. Well, sometimes we're afraid to forgive because of, like, what does the relationship look like after that? Do I just jump back into the relationship? Do I allow this person full access into my life? And every story is different. There's no one answer fits all for that question. But there are some people in your life that God actually wants you to forgive, but does not want you to be in a trusting relationship with again. I want to be very clear on that. Forgiveness does not necessarily equal trust. Sometimes forgiveness is a, is a choice you make and you release the person, you let it go out of your heart, the bitterness goes away, but you don't necessarily enter back into a relationship where there's all kinds of trust. Sometimes you do. And I can tell you stories on both sides. Sometimes in a sermon like this, I can tell you a, sto- a story of people where there was all kinds of trauma and God reconciled the relationship and it was this incredible happy ending. And I just want to say God does that. He, he does that. He restores broken relationships. But sometimes he asks you to forgive And the relationship might not be restored immediately or in years to come. And and maybe the person even isn't ready to enter back into a relationship. So forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean trust. But it is an act. It is something that you step out and say, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to let this go. And depending on who it is and depending on the level of, of pain that's involved in that relationship, maybe the relationship is fully restored and it's incredible and it's awesome and there's trust result is, is restored back. But maybe there's still caution. Maybe there's still people in your life that you've got to go to and, and talk to them about this and say, how much should I let this person back in? And that's something between you and the Holy Spirit. But I want to say this. Don't let that stop you from taking the step and forgiving. So the, 
Forgiveness is an act. It is actually something that we do. And then third, I want to close with this, a, a theology of forgiveness. Um, in the story of Joseph, it is so clear that sin is something that happens against God, right? So when the brothers are all arguing amongst themselves about what they did to Joseph, Reuben, in, in chapter 42, verse 22, and this isn't on the screen, but Reuben says, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen, and now we have to answer for his blood. <clears throat> and so the brothers recognized that what they did against Joseph was actually a sin against God. And then we touched on this a couple weeks ago. When, when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph, and Joseph resisted the temptation to, to sleep with Potiphar's wife and to go down that road, what he said to her was so profound. He says, how could I do this and sin against God? He realized his sin wasn't against her, just her, or just Potiphar, his boss, but that his sin was against God. And so any act of sin, anything wrong, like it's actually a sin against the creator of the universe. When we sin against somebody who was made in the likeness and image of God, we're sinning against him. That's why the story I told you at the beginning, this, this person, this really good friend of mine that I had hurt deeply, I realized, yes, I had hurt her and I needed to seek forgiveness from her. But beyond that, it was God. Like what I had done, I realized like this was a sin that I'm accountable to God for, right? And so, so sin, okay, so theology of forgiveness, sin, any sinful act is, a, is an act against God. Jesus tells a, a story that you're, you're probably familiar with in Matthew chapter 18 about a guy that um, he, he owed this huge debt to his master, like millions of dollars. And he, there's no way that he could pay it and, and the master was on the verge of sending this guy and his entire family into prison. In biblical days, you could do that for debt. So if you owed money, you could be sent to prison with your whole family, okay? Kids and everything. Um, and so this guy's like begging this master for forgiveness. And the master says, I'm going to forgive your debt, okay? And this is the story Jesus tells. So this guy, he's forgiven this incredible debt. He leaves, he's walking out, and somebody comes to him who owes him a smaller debt, maybe a couple hundred bucks, and, and, and says, I can't pay it, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And this guy, who's just been forgiven this debt of like millions of dollars, beats up this servant and throws him in prison and says, you're not getting out until you give me every last penny of those couple hundred dollars. And the reason Jesus tells the story is to show the, he's saying, it's crazy. When we don't forgive other people, it means we don't realize how much we've been forgiven by God. That's why Jesus would say what he said, like, you, you, can't, you can't experience the forgiveness of God if you haven't forgiven if you won't forgive others, you won't get the forgiveness of God because it means you don't understand how much God has forgiven you. And so the theology of, of forgiveness is that our sin, any wrong that we've done, was a wrong against God. I, uh, I've always wrestled with like the way Jesus defeated evil. And so when I, when I was 14 years old, uh, the movie Gladiator came out. Many of you are probably familiar with the movie Gladiator. And I remember going to see it and I sat in the movie theater when, when Gladiator, okay, Maximus, kills the evil emperor Commodus. And this guy is evil, okay? Like he's maniacal and he's perverted and he's twisted. And he killed Maximus, his whole family. And he was just so evil and wicked, right? And he was destroying the Roman Empire. And so at the end of the movie, when, when the Gladiator, when Maximus kills this evil emperor, I was like, yes, kill him. Like, he, he stabs him, and I just felt so good. I was like, this is awesome. I was so glad to see the sword pierce through this guy's, I think it was his neck, right? And, but I'm, like, sitting there, and I felt glad about it, but then I was, like, conflicted because I was like, but I love Jesus. Why am I so glad that this guy is being killed? 
Like I, re- I had this like wrestle, this interior wrestle, like is there something wrong with me that I'm glad that this guy killed this evil emperor? You know, and, and just think of any picture that you've seen. If you've seen a movie like Taken where this, at the end of the movie the, the, the hero kills the evil, wicked, bad person. And sometimes there's this like, yes, you're, you're glad that it happened. And as a Christian, I'm like, as I've studied the gospel, I'm like, the way Jesus dealt with evil was so different than what we see in pop culture, right? In pop culture, we're like, yeah, we want Maximus to go and destroy Commodus. We want, we want the bad guy to be de- humiliated and destroyed. But then Jesus, when you read the story of, of the gospel, Jesus comes and he willingly subjects himself to brutal death and killing and abuse so that the, the evil person that is seen and also the person that we think is the hero can be forgiven. You know, the, the movie Gladiator just had a huge impact on my life. You know, Maximus is seen as this hero, but he's flawed. He was a general. How many, how many people had, had he taken their lives? How many mothers lost children at his hands? Like, we, we, we look at human heroes, and, and they're so flawed. And what we don't realize is that, like, the Bible is actually true when it says that all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. That all of us are in desperate need of the forgiveness of God. All of us need to forgive, but all of us are in desperate need of the forgiveness of God. And Jesus, unlike the Gladiator movie, unlike what you see in a movie like Taken where he comes and, and just puts to the, the evil guy to shame in, in a triumph of strength, he actually submits himself to this brutal death so that he could overcome evil once and for all. Like that's the incredible, the theology of, of forgiveness is like the way that Jesus deals with evil and forgiveness is he submitted himself to absolute evil. He was killed for it so that we can put our trust in him and we can realize I've been forgiven so now I can forgive. Like, I, I, I actually did not deserve to be forgiven. I did not deserve to, have to be advocated for, but, but I was forgiven by a Savior who was absolutely perfect, who came and willingly subjected himself to brutality. And Jesus made a way for every single person on the planet to experience forgiveness, to be forgiven. It's incredible. Our stories don't compare to the gospel. You know, some of the stories that we celebrate in culture, you know, we celebrate flawed heroes going and taking down other flawed people. And, and the reason we celebrate them is because they're less flawed than the really evil guy who's really flawed. And from God's perspective, he looks and says, but you've all fallen short of the glory of God. Like you've all stepped into sin. You all need forgiveness. So Jesus, the perfect hero comes, offers his life, gives it up for us rises from the dead, conquers evil, conquers sin, and says, all who come to me can be forgiven. But once we realize that, we have to forgive. How could we not forgive once we realize what Jesus Christ has done for us? To not forgive means we don't realize what Christ has done. The team's going to come up. We're going to close with a song. And I'm just going to encourage today, um, as as the band plays this song, just an actual step. And so maybe today you're listening to this and, and you've, you've forgiven the people in your life that have caused harm or hurt. And maybe you've received the forgiveness of Jesus. But maybe you're listening to this and there's someone coming to mind that you're like, I haven't forgiven this person or this group of people for what they've done. And I just want to, while this song is playing, I just want to encourage you to take an actual step to just even come and stand at the front for 15, 30 seconds 
and bring that person's name before God and say, Lord, I today, I'm just choosing to forgive this person. Similar to what my experience was. When I made a choice to forgive the person that had hurt me, I was able to look back and say, no, I actually physically did something to offer up this forgiveness. And maybe there's some people here today that you need to take that step where you just offer up forgiveness. And I just want to invite you to do that. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus, if you've never received his forgiveness, if you've never accepted him, um, I want to invite you, if you want to come and and just stand and pray, um, just for for a couple minutes while this song is being played, I'll invite you to, to do that. And, uh, and, and by the way, there's nothing magical about leaving your seat. If you're really opposed to that and you want to pray where you are, you can, you can do that. Uh, but sometimes taking the actual step is, is, is helpful um, for us because it's this reminder of what we're actually doing in our hearts. And so let's just stand together and uh, we're going to close with these, these couple songs. And again, if the Lord's bringing a name to your heart, I just want to encourage you to just release that person to the Lord um, and receive the forgiveness uh, of God. Let's, let's pray before we sing. Lord, thank you for, for your word. Um, this message of forgiveness is one that is a, a constant challenge and struggle for us as your followers because, for one, it's hard to understand how you were able to forgive us but it's also hard for us to, to offer that forgiveness when we've been the ones that have been hurt and wronged. And so, Lord, we just ask for your spirit to empower us, to give us strength to do what you called us to do, Lord. And just even as we sing this last song, Lord, maybe, maybe there's some of us here that need to take an actual step and just uh, take a step forward and say, I'm forgiving so-and-so. Uh, I just pray you give us the boldness to do that, Lord. And if there's people here today that haven't received your forgiveness, that you'd give them the boldness to do that, Jesus. We, we thank you that your presence is here with us, and we just want to continue to welcome you with us as we sing this, this last song. Um, and for some of us who take this, this step uh, of, of faith and action, in Jesus' name, amen.